so precious Holy Father, we thank you that even though the, the, the deserving punishment that we are owed, even though we are sinful and evil, you still loved us enough to send your Son to earth to spread his arms out upon that cross to embrace the object of your wrath and anger and to pour out his blood for us so that our sins that we are owed punishment for would be taken upon him and the consequences of our human nature he would gladly pay the price for. We thank you for that love. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you this morning as we remember the fact that our God is not dead, that he is alive. And that sets him apart. That sets you apart from all others. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, as we talk about that love, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Some of us, for the first time, what true freedom is, what it means to have life, and what it means to not be bound by death and sin. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and we're so glad that you're here with us this morning as we're celebrating the resurrected Lord. When we look in the scriptures, we find this amazing story of a moment in history where Mary had gone to the tomb. She had gone to the tomb to find out whether or not her Savior, her Jesus, the one whom she had followed, whether he was still in the tomb. Because a day and a half before, he was lying dead, a carcass, a corpse, on a cross. The hope that she had been told, the Son of God that she had been told before her eyes was dead. And when she went to the tomb, what she expected to find was that body. But when she looked in the tomb, she did not find what she expected because our Lord had risen because death cannot keep him down. Amen? You can clap for that if you want. That's good. I remember as a kid thinking about Easter, not really understanding a whole lot. In fact, I was later, I was grown up before I really began to understand some of the concepts of Easter. And, and I knew that I really loved chocolate bunnies. I knew that I loved looking for my Easter eggs with money in them, and I loved finding stuff, and that was all fantastic and great. But as I went to bed on Easter night, I always remember asking this question in my little mind. Why? I understand the pastor said something about Jesus having to die on a cross, but why? You know, he rose from the dead. That's pretty cool. But why? Why does that even matter? And so as I grew up, that question lingered in my heart and lingered in my mind. And this morning, I want to answer that for you. I'm going to start by telling you a quick little story here. As I said, my name's Pastor Jamie. And 
there's got to be more to this Easter thing than just biting the head off of chocolate bunnies. I said bunnies in the earlier service. I'm the creepy pastor now. Anyway, there's got to be more to this Easter, and there is. And, and, and I want to tell you three stories this morning. And the first one has to deal with me. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm a little bit of an outdoors junkie. Uh, if it's outside, I love doing it. And, and my brother and I have this weird syndrome where we can't just do things normally. We always kind of have to take them to that next level. It's not enough to simply kayak. We've got to find a 12-foot cliff to dive our kayaks off of. And so, you, woo, that's good. Someone's up there with me. All right, and so I'm one of these guys that, that I, when I get into something, I go way over the top. And so as a young guy, I got really into outdoor experiential things and the rock climbing into whitewater kayaking and whitewater rafting. And, and my mother tells me I suffer from insanity. And, but the reality of it is I think I do because I absolutely love this stuff. I pursued it in college. I learned how to become a paramedic first responder in the event that there was an emergency that would happen out in the wilderness. Um, I one time went on a survival trip in the Everglades where I paddled over 62 miles living on nothing but sand fleas and sea trout that we had caught while we were on the trip. It was sweet. It was awesome. We slept out on these chickies and saw the stars like you'd never have seen before. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that later. I, I was an experienced paddler. I'm an experienced Life saver. I have been certified in swift water, white water rescue. I've been certified in cold water recovery. I know how to save someone's life when they're freezing to death in cold water. I am experienced. I know my stuff. I, I'm proud to say that I have kayaked or, or white water rafted in a soft boat. They, they call them soft boats and hard boats. Hard boats are your kayaks. Soft boats are your rafts. I have done every river this side of the Mississippi except for one. I have nailed every class three through five river that there is to nail this side of the Mississippi, even taking on a small piece of the Zambezi while in Africa. I'm the man when it comes to kayaking. Come on. If you don't believe me, look at this picture real quick. Here's a picture of me. And I just want to mention to you in this picture, I am in complete control. Because when you look at them at first, you go, no, that doesn't look right. But believe it or not, that's what we do. That is me, by the way. And in the, front, in the top picture, I'm kind of about three feet underwater. I have a friend named Dan who's in the same boat that I am. He's a certified lifeguard. He actually teaches Eagle Scouts and Boy Scouts how to open water rescue people. Dan instructs lifeguards on, on, on life-saving things, on how to take care of people's hearts and how to bring people back from the dead when they've drowned. Dan, my friend, this is an experience like crazy outdoor adventure junkie just like me. Well, as I said earlier, I once did this survival trip in the Everglades, and right coming off of that trip, I, I just had this inkling to get out and paddle. And so it was a February day about 10 years ago. And... And I had found myself just bored. And so we, we took ourselves to this adventurous location. You think of all the things that I've been involved in. We decided that we were going to up the ante and we were going to go to Lake Arthur at Moraine State Park. <laughs> now, if you don't know what Lake Arthur is, Lake Arthur is what in the whitewater world we refer to as a tabletop. Because it's flat. There's no rapid, there's no current, there's nothing to it. In fact, it's like going from riding a Harley to tricycles. All right? And here's Dan the man. 
and Jamie the master plan taking out in our canoe on a flat water, weird, warm day in February. You ever have one of the, well, of course we have, but you guys have lived through the same spring that I have. You've got these weird days where it's 75 degrees all of a sudden. Then you get snow the next day, right? You know those days I'm talking about. So that's in February, and the problem with that is, is when you have those warm days, the air temperature may be 75 degrees, but the water temperature is still in that what we call freezing range. 39 degrees was the water when we went out that day. And so here we are, these guys with all this know-how. We are good. We know what we're doing. I mean, there's nothing you can teach us at this point. And we set out into the water, and when we get out into the middle of the lake, something catastrophic takes place. Something that I have never seen, and I pray to God I will never see again, is a microburst happens right near us. And I don't understand what a microburst is. I just know that it, it was painful that day. And out of nowhere comes this monstrous wave that I can't explain to you. I've never seen anything like it. And it flipped Dan and I. When Dan went into the water, his heart instantly seized. And he went into a cardiac arrest and he began to fight for his own life. Because we're so experienced, of course we weren't wearing our life jackets. I remember when I hit the water, I, it stung. I couldn't breathe. And I had been trained in how to respond in situations like this. And, and one of the number one rules of the outdoors, if you get yourself in a life and death situation, you don't panic. Because if you panic, you will die. I looked over to see Dan struggling to survive as he bobbed up and down. I saw his life jacket float by, so I swam and I put my life jacket around him and I swam to get the other life jacket. I grabbed him and I began to swim towards shore. And as I began to swim towards shore, I noticed that whatever this storm had created, it created a circular current in the middle of the lake that no matter how hard we paddled, no matter how hard we tried, there was nothing that we could do in this moment to rescue ourselves. The water was so cold, it was 39 degrees, as the police report would tell me later. The boat that we were on sank because one of the number one rules when you're in a marine accident is you stay with the craft. But we couldn't even do that. At one point, I heard Dan praying out loud. And he swam away from me. And if you're a lifeguard, you know why he did that. Because the reason he swam away from me, because a human instinct when we are drowning is we grab whatever we can and we push it under the water so that we can catch a breath of air. And he swam away from me to die so that he wouldn't kill me. I was having a very big crisis moment in my life. As I was watching one of my friends die before me, I began to cry out to God, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Help. No amount of experience, no matter how good that we thought we were, we needed a Savior. And I don't care in this life how good you think you are. I don't care in this life how much experience you think you have with being awesome. As every outdoorsman will eventually learn, if you spend enough time in Mother Nature, she will kick your butt. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you spend time with sin, it will kill you. No matter how good or safe or secure you think you are, you need 
a savior. Don Carson was the park ranger that day who came out and rescued me and saved my life. Just from breathing in the cold temperature, I sprained my sternum. In hypothermic waters at 39 degrees, you have five minutes to survive before you begin to shut down. We were in the water for over 45 minutes. And Dan made it. God saved the two fools who thought they knew what they were doing. We all need a Savior. Jesus was on his way to Bethany. He had received word that one of his friends by the name of Lazarus had fallen ill. The message came while Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and he said, and said hey, you know, this is from Mary and Martha. We need you to come as quickly as you can because Lazarus is not well. In fact, we think he's going to die, Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to hang here for a couple days. And the disciples' response is, Jesus, the message said it was urgent. Shouldn't we go? And Jesus says, I've got this. I'll take care of it. The way that we're going to respond to this will bring glory to God. I need you guys to trust me. So here is Jesus' dying friend reaching out to him, saying, I need you. And Jesus grabs a seat. How does that make sense? How does that seem right? That in in, in our moment of need, that God would take a seat? Well, see, it's very easy because God works outside of you and I. Mary and Martha had this idea that Jesus would come and he would protect Lazarus from dying. And they had this mindset of how this was going to be. And and just as when you're faced with trials and problems in your life, God will answer you when you pray. But it's going to be the way he wants to answer you. And so what ends up happening is Jesus dragging his feet on his way to Bethany. Lazarus dies. How dare God abandon his friend? his moment of need. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me, not the book of Matthew, to the book of John, chapter 11. Jesus has just arrived outside of town. He hasn't even seen the sisters of Mary and Martha yet. They're the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus is now dead. And it says this in verse 17, and I challenge you to follow along. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Can you imagine what you would say to Jesus? If in that moment you felt like he bailed out on you. Maybe some of you have had that moment in your life where you feel like you prayed out to God and he didn't listen to you. When Mary encounters Jesus, excuse me, when Martha encounters Jesus, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you've cried out to God and you didn't feel like he even cared? I want you to remember that God answers 
according to the way he wants to answer. And I promise you, it's always grander than what you're thinking. Martha, in faithfulness, continues on to the Lord and she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus looked at her and he said this to her, your brother will rise again. Thinking that she was, Jesus was referring to some theological thing later when we all rise with him in the end, Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus looks at her and he says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The story doesn't end there because you see, Jesus came into town. He said, I'm going to glorify God. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He looks at the women and he says, take me to the tomb. And all the people that had gathered around Mary and Martha were weeping and they were crying. And Jesus, in his human nature, was so moved by the love that the people had for Lazarus that Jesus also wept. He cried. Which is amazing to me because he knows what's about to happen. But yet he still had the love and affection for his friends and for the people that he wept with them. You know, sometimes, church, when we've got junk going in our lives, the best thing we can do is shut up and cry with one another. And I love that Jesus did that. They go to the tomb, and Jesus has opened it. Martha, concerned always, says, Jesus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. There's going to be an odor. Because, you see, they didn't have the same practice as we have today when it comes to mortuary standards. When you were dead, you were dead, and you decayed, and it was gross. They, in fact, binded you up. The bonds of death, some would call them. They would bind you up in these linens, and they would throw you in the tomb. And Martha says, Jesus, he's going to stink. There's going to be decay. What are you doing? Jesus says, open it. When he opens the tomb, Jesus, with a commanding voice, does this. Lazarus, come here. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus got up and he came to Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care how good you think you are in this life. I don't care how well prepared you think you are. You need a savior because the reality of it is you're floating in the same lake of death that I was floating in when it comes to sin. And we have a Savior who takes a guy like Lazarus who is dead. And because Jesus is the resurrection, he resurrects new life, even to the dead. And I don't care where you're at in life, no matter how far gone you think you are, my Jesus, my resurrected Lord, he can breathe new life into you. And he does so by calling you by name, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up and he came to life. And the death and the decay was gone. And Jesus looks at the folks and he says, cut those bonds off of him. Because Jesus wants to set us free from death to life. Amen? That is good news. You're messed up. You know that? I'm messed up. We're all messed up. But Jesus wants to fix that. 
He wants to take the dead stinkiness that's all over us, and he wants to save us. And he doesn't just do that by going, okay, I'm going to save this group of folks over here. He calls you by name. He calls you by your name. He knows you. It's intentional. It's on purpose. You didn't just happen into this. No. That's how much the Savior loves you. That morning at the tomb when Mary was there in John 20, we see this amazing encounter between her and Jesus. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to John 20 with me right now because it's, it's just that good. I'm just going to read it. Mary has looked into the tomb and Jesus isn't there and she's not convinced that he's actually even risen from the dead at this point. She actually is afraid that someone's taken him to play a cruel joke on her and the disciples. And it says this, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the one at the foot. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord, she said, and I do not know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Isn't it true that sometimes in our pain and in our suffering, God is speaking to us and we're hurting so bad that we don't even recognize it's him sometimes? I've had those moments. Mary's having that moment. I bet you have too. Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. And then Jesus said to her, her name, Mary. And when Jesus said her name, it was like somebody peeled blinders off of her face, and she instantly recognized her Lord. And I'm telling you this morning, God is calling you by name. He is standing right in front of you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to give you new life this morning. He wants to set you free from whatever bondage you're living in. And he wants to give you new life because he's calling you by name. Just as he called Mary by name and she recognized her Savior. We all need rescue. Because you see, in the beginning of time, Adam and Eve messed it up for all of us. <laughs> they used to live in a place where they, they lived with God, they walked with God, they hung out with God. And Satan came and he, and he tricked them into disobeying God. And, and sin, if you've ever heard that word, is actually disobedience to God. And, and that's the reason why the sin of eating an, an apple or a piece of fruit is so silly because it's, it's not meant to focus on the actual sin, but the fact that it was disobedience to God. Anything we do that is disobeying God is sin, no matter how little or how big. And when that happened, God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden because God is goodness, God is light, God is perfection, God is holy, and he can have nothing to do with sin. 
And so when we began to sin and we took that sin upon us, there was forever a gap placed between man and God and we could no longer commune with the God that loves us. God so desired to have a relationship with us, but there had to be a payment for that sin. There had to be a payment to bridge that gap once again. For years, people would take bulls and they would take sheep and they would take doves and they would offer sacrifices to God. But because we are made in the image of God, it was going to take a much more substantial sacrifice to cleanse us of our sins than that of sheep and goats. It was going to take God himself coming down in the form of man and offering his life for us upon the cross. Because you see, here is man, here is God. There's a gap in the middle and the only thing that can seal that gap is a resurrected Jesus. And this morning, if you desire to be in relationship with God, I want to tell you this, no matter how good you think you are, you're broken, you're lost, and you're drowning in a freezing pool of death and you don't even realize it. You need a Savior. And you have a Savior who is standing there calling you by name. Say, come with me. I want to take you to the Father. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the sins of man and purifies us. We don't have to work for it. All he says is that we have to confess him as our Lord and Savior. So if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will reunite you with God. He will bring new life into you and strip away those clothings of death hold you back. I can't think of a better time than Easter morning than for us to join with God in the resurrection. Maybe this morning this is the first time that you have heard that you're sinful. Maybe this morning this is the first time that you have heard that you're broken and that you need a savior. Maybe for a long time you have felt empty. You have felt like you're drowning. You have felt like you're in trouble. You feel like everything in your life is falling apart. Well, I'm telling you right now, when you have God in your life, he can mend you. He will make you into what you are meant to be. And he will breathe new life into you. And he will bring you back from the dead. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. If you so desire to have a relationship with Christ so that you can forever dwell with God, you've only got to do a couple of things. You just got to confess to him that you're broken and messed up and that you can't do it on your own, that you need a Savior. You need to confess that you need a Savior. Then you need to confess your sins to him. And then you need to tell somebody about it. Come talk to one of the pastors. Talk to the person you came with. But tell somebody that you desire to be set free from the bondage of death. Tell somebody that you want to live forever. Tell somebody that you desire to follow Jesus. And I promise you that will be the best news that they've heard all year. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you. Just as you brought Lazarus to life and breathed new life into his lungs and took away the decay, the death. You desire to do that in us as well. For each one of us is sinful. No matter how good we think we are, God, we need rescued. And so this morning, God, we pray that you would rescue us.
We thank you for resurrecting from the dead, God, because death itself cannot hold the kind of love that you poured out on us when you took upon yourself the sins of the world, giving us life, giving us new life. And so, God, if, those are, if there's people out there that desire to, to learn more, God, I pray that you would convict their hearts now, that you would convict their hearts to pray and confess their sin and to accept you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you will surround them with good people who can help them walk that journey because this is just the start of something awesome. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for life. Thank you for your body and thank you for your blood.